We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 21. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly, and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitudes said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Amen. Amen, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Well, it's good to be here. We're here bodily. I'm not sure we're here mentally or emotionally. We're a little bit tired still, so bear with us today. But I do want to start by encouraging everybody that if God gives you a promise, um, we may fail, but his promise will never fail. Some of these things we're doing now is, um, these are just the things, you know, we've all got a calling, we've all got a purpose. These are the things that God called me to do. And some of the things when you're called to do and you first hear it, like a thousand churches in Pakistan, I believe, will be planted. New churches. And uh, when you hear that, you think, well, it's the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. And you hear this 12 years ago, it's... All the things God orders are impossible. So it's impossible. But if it is from God, it'll never fail. His word and his promise will never fail. And I'm, what's happening in the nation of Pakistan, the thousands that are being saved, the new churches are being planted, there is a move of God there. And I'm surprised, but I shouldn't be. Because it's everything that God promised would happen. And now it's beginning to happen. So I just want to encourage you, if God has made you a promise, um, as people say, it won't happen overnight, but it will happen. His word will never, ever, ever fail. He is a faithful Jesus. I'm sort of laughing, though, because in the last 15 years, there's been two major earthquakes in Pakistan. And both times, we've been ministering there. You know, it says that in the Acts chapter 4, when the people were bold and they were threatened, but they didn't back down to the threats, that they went to pray and there was an earthquake. In other words, where there is boldness, God shakes the place in his approval. <laughs> That's my theory. 
So uh, we've been boldly going there, and twice God has quaked the place. So it's just, um, just so encouraging to see what he's doing. You know, you don't, I've often said you don't measure a church by its numbers. You measure a church by its influence. And I encourage your church, all those who have given and prayed, this church has had a great influence through this crusade. Like, great influence. And uh, there is now 93 churches in Pakistan under our covering, and we are believing for 1,000. 1,000 new church plans. You know, what's just, I'm talking here, but what's encouraging is that, you know, during COVID, God, all God said to me, he said was me, you need to continue to be productive. That's all. And just, you can't just sit back and go to sleep like it was easy to do. He said, you've got to be productive. So I thought, well, I'm an evangelist. How can I be productive? And Michael will tell you, the first time we did a, uh, an internet crusade, was there 100 people? To, with, there's not even 100 people. But we just thought we can be productive and preach over the internet to some people. So we did it. And the next time we did it, there was about 120. And then there was 150. And then after six months, we had an internet crusade where there were 70,000 people. And we, we didn't know, but whenever you're building unto God, you're always building more than you can see. But we had no idea there was 18 new churches come out of these crusades. So just by continuing to use the gift you've been given, continue to be productive, we had no idea what was happening. But out of these crusades, Pastor Hamad and his we were planting new churches. So 18 new churches in the Islamic Republic of Pakistan is something to be pleased about. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. And you know, the favor of God is so great. And Pastor Hamad was a, such a good mover. They arranged for us uh, to have this car. It was an ex-government car. And so we're bringing the gospel to the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. And we have got a car that has a siren in it. So everywhere we went, people got out of the way and treated us like royalty. <laughs> and it's, it's like, God, you're making ways that, that in the wilderness, they're just humorous, you know. Out of the way, these people who are coming to bring the gospel to this nation, you're going to make a way for them. Technically, I think it's illegal, but anyway. Okay, uh, I don't want to be long today because I'm a bit scrambled, but I do, want, I'm, I do think this is really important. Though. This is what we call Palm Sunday on the Christian calendar. And uh, Michelle just read a passage, and the passage is about where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And he's, he's coming into Jerusalem having healed many, many people. He's just, previous passage, he's opened the eyes of blind Bartimaeus. And this coming into Jerusalem is covered in Mark's gospel, it's covered in Luke's, and it's covered in, in, in Matthew. They each focus on different elements. But he's coming, and he has healed so many people at this stage, and done things that are unimaginable to your human mind. He's cleansed lepers, he's opened the ears of the deaf, he's opened the eyes of the blind, and then he finally comes to this widow who's grieving in Nain, and her husband's dead and her son's dead, and he comes to this coffin and raises the son back up. And by this stage, Jesus has done so much, and people have seen so many acts of power that the crowds want to seize him and make him the king who will evict the Romans from Jerusalem. And every time they want to do that, Jesus withdraws 
because he knows that that's not his purpose. But here, nevertheless, Jesus comes and he orders the people to go and find a colt. And he's going to ride this colt into Jerusalem because he is proclaiming to be king. And this is to fulfill the prophecy that Zechariah made in Zechariah chapter 9. This is why Jesus is doing this, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fall of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. So when Jesus did this, he was deliberately riding the colt because Zechariah said the Messiah, the way you would recognize him, he would enter Jerusalem, not on a chariot, not on a gold chariot, but he would enter lowly on, on, a, on uh, the foal of a donkey. And so Jesus takes the foal of a donkey and he's entering into Jerusalem and he's proclaiming himself as the Messiah. He's proclaiming himself as the one the prophets promised, God's king who came. And he is, uh, as he's proclaiming this, the people are, are, are they take out their clothes when clothes are expensive they lay them on the ground and they acknowledge that this is the one God has sent I'm not sure they fully understand what they're doing but they're excited and they they they've never seen anything like this Jesus and he is coming they pick up branches and they're worshiping him and it's a great uh, it's a great scene but they don't understand that he's not come to liberate them from the tyranny of Rome he, Jesus has come for another purpose. And what we remember today on Palm Sunday is that, and what we acknowledge is that Jesus is heaven's king. That's what we acknowledge, that he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of all lords. The coming of Christ is the coming of God's king. It's, it's just that the way he uses power is what differentiates Christ the king from all other human kings. All other human kings, come, they would come arrogantly and they would come to use their power for self-interest. But when Christ came, Christ didn't come for, he didn't enter as, as arrogantly as, as like a human king would, but he entered lowly, he entered humbly, and he didn't enter uh, to extend his own interest. He entered and he, 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 he used his power, not for self-interest, but he used his power to liberate you and I. And he used his power, not for self-interest, but he, he used his power to lift and he used his power for the interest of others. And what great interest that, that, that he, he served our interest in is that the people thought he was coming to liberate them from the tyranny of Rome. But what God's king comes to do is to liberate us from the real tyranny. And Rome was never the real tyranny. The real, real tyranny to the human soul has always been and will be sin. Ever since Adam ate the apple, sin has entered the human nature and sin is the greatest tyrant. 
It's always interesting, I see, when as soon as sin entered Adam, the very next chapter, we have relational turmoil between Cain and Abel, and we have murder. And it's sin that causes that. It's sin that defiles a person. It's sin that discourages a person. It's the sin that destroys relationships. It's sin that makes a person do and be what they don't want to do. Sin is the real tyrant. And the Word of God tells us really, really clearly, because God is just and He is holy and He is good and He is right, that sin separates you from God. And sin will eternally separate you from God. Have you ever wondered why heaven is heaven? I've said this a million times. In heaven, the only reason heaven is heaven, there's no pain, there's no death, there's no fear, there's no illness in heaven because there's no sin in heaven. And you can't enter heaven if you have sin in you. But why Christ is heaven's king is that he came, the whole reason he came was to liberate you and I from what is really the great tyrant of the human soul, and that is sin. And he came knowing how, how destructive sin was, how complete sin was, how sin would separate us eternally from God, how sin would stop us entering heaven. And the Bible says he, he's, he's, he's not only heaven's king, he's king of our hearts because what he did. The Bible says he who knew no sin took all the sin on himself that we might become right with God. So this is why we celebrate Palm Sunday, is that Jesus came in all his majesty, in all his power, but it's the way he uses his power that makes him king of my heart, makes him king of the human heart. That he came with all authority, he who could do and be anything, he who flung planets into the orbit of all the things he could do. The Bible said he set his face towards Jerusalem because the real reason he was born was to die for my sin. He is the king, heaven's king, who came to die for you and I. And, you know, when he came, he said to the disciples, he said, go into the village opposite you. Immediately you'll find a donkey. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And so this is like Jesus, he's coming and he's displaying he is heaven's king because this is a statement of absolute authority. It's like, it's like me saying, uh, go into Terrigal and you'll find a a Mercedes-Benz with the keys in it. Just go and take it and say to the owner, Martin needs it. You know, I mean, it's, but this is what happened. And Jesus is claiming he is the king who has authority over all. He has authority over everything. Ephesians chapter 2 says, 
He has been exalted at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of all in him. So he has authority over all. He is the king, has authority over all, God's king. But he uses that authority and he uses that, uh, that power, not for himself, but to go to Jerusalem and deliberately die on a cross because he knows that you and I cannot liberate ourselves from sin. He knows you and I are sold to sin. We are captives to sin. And this king comes and with his own blood pays the price to liberate. The Bible says we are redeemed, not with gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus. And that's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. He is the coming of the all-authority, all-loving King of Kings who comes to liberate us from the tyranny of sin. And you often, you may wonder what is wrong with the world today. You know, is it, is it Vladimir Putin or is it this or is it that? I'll tell you what's wrong with the world today. What's wrong with Putin? What's wrong with everybody is simply the sin that is in them outworking itself. And there's no use crying about Vladimir Putin because that sin is in you and it's in I. And it's the great enemy of the human soul, sin. But this is what Christ came to do, to liberate us. And he, when he dies on that cross, he not only dies to forgive us of our sin, but he dies us to set us free from the power that sin has over us, which makes us selfish, which makes us lust, which makes us lie, which makes us do all these things. He comes to liberate us completely from the tyranny of sin. He is the coming. Make bone, no bones about it. He is the coming of heaven's king because when the Magi came to worship Jesus, when Jesus was born as a baby, the Magi, who, who are worshippers of a different kind, they're like astrologers and they come from a different path, but they come and when they came to Jerusalem to seek Christ, they said, where, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east have come to worship him. That same born king is important because every other human king inherits their kingship when a previous king dies. But Jesus doesn't inherit his kingship. He is born king because he is king. He is heaven's king. Born king, the king of kings. And he comes. And it's very interesting in, in Matthew chapter 2 because when he comes... When he is born, the Magi know heaven's king is being born. And it says, where is this king? They come to Jerusalem. They ask Herod, where is this one who is born king? Who is heaven's king? We want to worship him. We've come to worship him, which is the correct response you and I need to have to the one who comes to liberate us from the great tyranny of the human soul, which is sin. But when he comes... 
The, the Magi come and they say, we've come to worship heaven's king. Herod does this. Herod is tricky. And he says, well, go and find him because I want to worship him too. But it says later, he doesn't want to worship heaven's king. He wants to kill him. He wants to kill him. The reason that he wants to kill him is the coming of God's king means something. It means the coming of God's king is also the coming of God's kingdom. And it means that your kingdom must end. Herod wants to kill him because he wants to remain on the throne. He wants his king, kingdom to be priority over Christ's kingdom. But the Bible says every knee must bow and every tongue confess. And the coming of Christ as king requires your kingdom to end, your kingdom to bow to his kingdom, your need to bow to Christ as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the reality is everybody who doesn't want to do that wants to murder the king. Because it means that the big ego show must stop. He is God's king. He is God's king. And what happens when he comes? You see this. He says, he who has all authority and rules and reigns over all, Heaven's king says, he gives the order, go and loose this colt. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded him. That is the response that is right and required to what Jesus Christ has done for us. They did as he commanded them. They went and became obedient to him. Even though this was a difficult thing to do, to go and say, give us your donkey. Even though it was a hard thing to understand. Because they knew who Christ was, they were obedient to him. And this is what the coming of God's king requires for us. It requires to us to bow our knee, acknowledge he is king, and become obedient to him. And then all the people, they cut down branches, it says, and they spread their clothes on the ground. And you know, in those days, clothes were something of value. But they spread their clothes, something of value on the ground, for the king to pass over. And it's a beautiful picture of worship that what the correct response to Christ coming, the correct response to what he has done for us, the correct response of the human heart that Jesus didn't have to, but he who was almighty and powerful came and gave his life for me. He shed his blood. He paid the price for all my sin with his own blood. The, the only suitable response to that is worship and obedience. And you know, they offered, they, they put their clothes, which had a value in those, those on the ground. And I believe every act of true worship, there's a cost to it. There's a value to it. And, uh, and we are called to respond to Christ. And he's coming. 
and he's giving himself by responding to his sacrifice for us with worship and with obedience to his word. That's what he calls for. And that's what is the correct response to the coming of the king. And you know, in the end, Christ comes. He set his face towards Jerusalem. He set his face towards Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the place where he was going to be crucified on Calvary's cross. And he did it deliberately. But he did it deliberately. And he enters Jerusalem. And we often focus on uh, Palm Sunday. We focus on the coming of Jesus. And then we often move very, very quickly to Easter Sunday, which is a day of victory. And it's a day where we celebrate new life. And it's a day where we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And, uh, and we often talk about that he is, he is the king who leads to life. And that's true. I've heard that message preached a million times. Jesus is the king who comes and he leads us to life. He's the one who conquered death and rose again. He leads to life. But this is what he wants to say. He's the king who wants us to, to follow him and know the path to life. And one of the great problems in the Western church is that we want to, how do I say this? We want to do addition without subtraction. And that is, we, we, we often do evangelism. We want to add Christ to our life. And then we think we're going to live. But between the coming of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, there is Calvary. There is the death of Christ. And for us to live, we must receive Christ, the one who comes to us. That's a plus. But then there's a subtraction. The cross is about death. And it's about dying. So the way we live this abundant, eternal, joyful, not life as everybody else lives, but life in abundance, the way to live that, the only way to live it is, is to receive Christ, that's the plus, and subtract sin. It's when we're actually serious about receiving Christ and dying to sin that we can live. There is no life, there is no abundant life, there is no extraordinary eternal life if we just want to receive Christ and all his blessings and all his goodness, but without following his path, which is the path through the cross, where we actually receive Christ, but also die to sin, then we may live. So we must add him, add Christ, subtract sin, and then we live. And that's why the Bible says, should I, where is it, Romans chapter 6 speaks about, should we continue in sin? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? A lot of people live like that today. He says, certainly not. And he speaks about baptism, that we died to sin. So the coming of the king wants to point us to life. He wants to point us to the path to life.
But there must be a death. There must be a death before there can be a life. And God's people must be serious. We follow the one who died to sin, and he called us, died for sin, but he calls us to die to sin. So when Christ came, the Bible says, he came proclaiming himself to be the king, not who uses power selfishly, but the king, heaven's king, who came to die, to set you free from the true tyrant of your life, which is sin. But to be free of that, we must be determined to die to it. And you know, the most glorious thing is when a Christian is actually born again. And they look to Christ and they receive him as their king. They actually make a decision that this is definitive. I must die to the sin that's ruled my life. I must let those things go. I must start a new chapter, a new path. I must walk righteously with him. And they die to sin. As soon as they make that choice, Holy Spirit enters them. And they're alive to God. That is the most glorious thing. And only Christ can do that. Only Christ can do that to the human heart. Because at that moment, we are, we are alive because we are liberated from sin and we're connected to God again. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And eternally, we're alive. But you know, the, 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 when Christ came, he had come into Jerusalem. All the city was stirred or moved, saying, Who is this? Who is this? And that really is the ultimate question for every person. Every person. Who do you make of Jesus Christ? I believe that's really not the issue. I believe every heart and every person knows deep down. There is nobody like Jesus Christ. There is no human explanation for Jesus Christ. How is he the most popular figure in all humankind when he was simply a carpenter? He died without any, only 70 followers. He never built a business. Never made money like any, never did anything substantial, what people would call great today. Yet there's Without doubt, he has influenced the life of mankind more than any other person. Why? Simply because he is heaven's king. And the question is not whether you know it or not. The question is whether you are willing for your kingdom to end. Like Herod, you either want to kill the message or you want to bow your knee to Jesus Christ today. And that's what he wants you to do. He comes. And his greatness. He comes in his greatness as heaven's king. And his greatness is that he doesn't use power for himself. He came and he died on that cross to liberate you. And you may think, you may have a million problems in your life. 
But I want to tell you, if you boil it down, the great problem of your life is the tyranny of sin. It's either sin that you do or sin that's done to you. But he, went, he came and he lay on that cross to liberate you from that. To liberate you from the guilt and shame associated with your sin or to liberate you from the pain which is caused by the sin which is done for you. That's why he's our king. That's why he's our king. Because he liberates us from the great tyranny of sin. Who is he to you? Who is he to you? The question is, will you bow your knee to him today? The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who gave all to you. I'm going to give us an opportunity to receive Christ. He came to Jerusalem, but he doesn't come to Jerusalem today. He comes to your heart and he says to you, will you bow your knee? Will you accept his reign? and rule? Will you become obedient to him? Will you come, become a worshipper of the one who gave all for you? He doesn't come to Jerusalem, but he comes to your heart. And you need to receive him. You must receive him. Because he is not only God's king, but he is the only way. He's the only one that can liberate you from sin. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you. I thank you that, Lord, you sent Jesus from heaven for one reason, one purpose alone. And, Lord, Jesus said the words that he set his face towards Jerusalem. He could have been the greatest human king in the world. He could have been the most popular human king in the world. Satan offered him the kingdoms of all the world. But, Lord, you chose the cross because you know what is the great danger to the human soul. You know what is the real tyrant. And I thank you that we who all sin, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, can be forgiven of that sin and, be, can, and can be liberated from that sin because of what you did at Calvary. Lord, you have all authority. You have all authority to liberate every person here today, to forgive every person here today. But let every knee bow and every tongue confess that you indeed are the one and only. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you need to receive Christ today as your King, you need to respond. You just need to respond. He comes to your heart. Someone needs to receive him. If you need to receive Christ, just raise your hand to heaven. You're not raising your hand to me. Raise your hand to heaven. Say, I need to receive Christ as my Savior. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, I think, uh, I don't know what you're going to sing, but I think we need to sing that song again, What He's Done.